Hello, and welcome to the Writers and Illustrators of the Future podcast. This is John Goodwin, your host. This podcast is dedicated to the aspiring writer or artist and will provide inspiration and tips from top professionals in the field, along with contest winners and a few surprise guests. Today's podcast is very special as it's our 100th podcast since creating us back in um, 2019, in April 2019, when we started this podcast. And we have a very special guest, the publisher of Bain Books. Welcome, Tony Weisskopf. Glad to be here. Nice, nice to be talking with you, John. Yeah, we almost we almost had a, a thing happening in April when you were going to come out and be your keynote speaker for Writers of the Future, Volume Thirty Six. It didn't happen because of this little bug that was going around and seems to <laughs> still be going all around. But uh, anyway, so I was when I realized I just I need to do an interview with you on the podcast, and so this is great. So I guess. If, um, the first thing is, how did you become the publisher of Bain, and, and what drew you in that direction? Um, well, I guess uh, you know I've been a, a reader of science fiction uh, since I was a little kid. Um, my dad is an astrophysicist, and um, whenever he went uh, went on a trip, send a rocket up to White Sands or something like that, um, he'd come back with magazine of science fiction and analog in his pockets and. Um, he always had uh, science fiction books around the house. Heinlein and Andre Norton were uh, some of his favorites. Um, so I grew up with, you know, I grew up reading science fiction, and uh, really, just the, the more I read it, the the more I liked it. Um, and I knew I wanted to be part of that. Um, so uh, when I when I went to college, I I discovered I was really spending more time doing science fiction than I was probably um, on my uh, on my classes and things I should have been paying attention to. So I got a job in science fiction as soon as I graduated from college, and um, and that was at Bain Books. Um, I started out uh, at the entry-level position and never left. So uh, I've, I've, I've had a chance to do all the jobs at Bain, including production, um, and I've uh, discovered the, the things that I'm good at, which is not production. Uh, <laughs> 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 um, and, uh, and when Jim passed away, um, I inherited uh, his part of the company and, um, and ended up running it. And, um, you know, we've, I've been doing that since 2006, so that's 14 years now. And um, we've, we've managed to take some, some books um, to the top 10 in the New York Times list, um, managed to, to get some new authors on the New York Times list under my tenure. We've expanded our ebook program. I'm really proud of, of, of what the, the team has done here at Bain. Absolutely. Now, what's your basic philosophy as compared to other science fiction and fantasy publishers? Like, what's your basic bent or what makes you different? Well, um, I'll, I'll steal a line from Sharon Lee and, and Steve Miller in, in, uh, in their biography. Um, we firmly believe, something to the effect of, we firmly believe um, that science fiction should be fun. Um, and I do too. That, uh, that That's at the core of what we do, is we, we try to make every single one of our books a fun experience. Now, <clears throat> of course, the, the, the pleasures of science fiction, um, you know, are different from, say, the pleasures of watching soccer, whatever those may be. Uh, <laughs> 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 or bowling, or riding your motorcycle, or or, or climbing mountains, or whatever. Um, but the, the, the pleasures of science fiction um, uh, are are visceral ones, but they're also intellectual ones. Um, uh, we 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 get to ask what if in a whole range of different ways, um, from 
you know, what if we what if we change time or history in this particular way, or um, to what happens if this goes on? Um, we get to explore all the big questions. Uh, what does it mean to be human? Um, what does it mean to be a hero? And uh, you know, wh- why should we go on? What is what what is the purpose of life? We get to do all of that with science fiction, and that is so much fun. Yeah. Um, and uh, and and I really really enjoy that. Um, so. Um, so part of what I'm doing um, at Bain is picking things that I just like to read, and I happen to be lucky enough to have a, a taste that a lot of people agree with, and that's uh, that's a useful thing. Absolutely. And just going through, before we did this, um, when we scheduled this interview, I went through to see on your on your list uh, who all you publish, and I was I was amazed at how many of our judges and past winners are published by Bain Books. I'm just going to read down this list because it's, it's mm. quite impressive. And it, and it makes sense <laughs> based on what you just said and what, what you look for. But Eric Flint, he was a winner, and now he's a judge for our contest. And uh, he's the alternate history, which is uh, the 1632 series. Well, he does a lot of other stuff too. It's just alternate history is what his uh, his Times bestseller list yeah. uh, books books have been. But he does all a huge range of stuff. Yeah, yeah. And then Nancy Cress, uh, Anne McCaffrey, she was just such a dear friend. And then obviously yeah. her, her son Todd now is um, a judge, took over for her. But Larry Niven, who I just recently had on the podcast, Andre Norton, who I never met her in person. I I talked to her over the phone because she was a judge. And I loved her Witch World series. That just, to me, was one of the best <laughs> inspirations of fantasy. I, I've read that multiple times. Uh, Jody Lynn Nye, Fred Pohl, Jerry Purnell, Tim Powers. Uh, he teaches the workshop, and he's also one of the teachers for the online writing workshop that we re- released uh, a few months oh, ago. Yeah. He's, he's great. I mean, just just a, a master of, of fantasy, um, wonderful person, yeah. um, and just... Uh, just so happy to be publishing his books now. Yeah, which is great. Charles Sheffield, obviously he passed, but he was one of our first judges. Katie Wentworth, she was a winner who became a judge and coordinating judge, and then she passed away a few years ago. Jack Williamson, I remember when we went to um, the Rise of Future Awards event, we went to uh, Cape Kennedy. This was, I guess, the early 2000s, and mm. and um, he'd been writing about science fiction, about I mean, about uh, space travel since the 1920s, but he'd never seen uh, a, an actual rocket launch. So we, <laughs> we were there for one of the space shuttle launches, and he was like a little kid. He was in his 80s, but he and all the other judges were just like little kids. They've been writing about this stuff for, for ages, and then seeing one, we were the closest civilians to the actual, actual rocket launch. We were there in the swamps, and uh, about a mile away, it was just, it was, he was just so ecstatic. And then, and then you also published Roger Zelazny. And then some of our winners, Stoney Compton, James Glass, Martin Shoemaker, Eric James Stone, and Brad Torgerson. And then just recently, Sean Patrick Hazlitt with his um, anthology of the Weird World War III, which we did, a, helped him out with a, with a ton of media. A lot of, uh, interestingly enough, he got a lot of um, interest from um, the paranormal radio stations, which makes sense. Yeah. And then William, mm-hmm. William Ledbetter. So anyway, so anything in particular on, on, on these authors that, and how you ended up with, with some of these winners? 
Well, I, you know, I, I think you know your your your, your brief, um, as I understand it, is uh, is to identify um, authors who are uh, looking to make a professional career in science fiction, who show that 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 spark of uh, of unique unique voice um, early on, and, and to be able to uh, to help them out at, at an early stage and encourage them. And uh, I, th- I think you're doing a great job. Um, I think I think your your system has has been able to identify these authors consistently over uh, over the course of the contest. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, you know I think part of that is you know the people you pick as the judges are themselves accomplished authors who are very intelligent people, um, and and also who who partake of that um, Heinleinian pay it forward. Philosophy, um, right? Yeah. Okay. Good. So, now, yeah. yeah. So, okay, that makes sense. And that, and then with on on the subject now of of um, you said with with professional authors um, helping to to choose. Now, one thing about these professional authors is they gr- they all grew up through the conventional editors, publishers to be able to to make that filtering the the winnowing of. The process of so that what surfaces is the really really good stuff. Now I know that self publishing is becoming quite a uh, quite a solution as well with the number of, of authors and stuff. How do you see the relationship, or what do you see as the difference? Well, um, yeah, I've been taking a look at this list. Um, I know that Charles Sheffield was somebody that Jim Bain pulled out of the slush when he was reading um, uh, reading for Galaxy magazine. Um, and uh, I, you know, Jim Jim also published Jerry Pornell back in his magazine days, although he was publishing not just fiction but also his nonfiction. Um, you know, so so you had these early relationships between uh, between um, editors and writers that were established through the way that the profession was organized um, back in the day, and that's something that's changing now. Um, right there, there are not as many magazines as there were before, so you don't get to identify new talent from reading their short stories in magazines first necessarily and you don't necessarily have that um, uh, stimulating interaction between editor and new author that you had say with John Campbell or Fred Pohl uh, back in his day um, so, so so these are differences in the in the way that um, we're getting writers and and editors together but for me always the 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 key with self-publishing is that the second word there is publishing um so all of the tasks that publishers do still have to be done um they're just done by one person the self right so all of the things that we're, we're supposed to do as publishers edit the manuscript uh find a market market to that market, get uh, you know, print books. And, and, and when I say print books, I, you know, I include format for, for e-publishing as well. Create covers, create marketing copy, create uh, marketing plans. All of that stuff still has to be done. It's just, it's just one person who's doing it. Um, so you lose some of that interaction and you lose some of that stimulation and you lose some of that maybe edge that working with, uh, work, working with an editor will get you. Um, and you can buy editors, but that itself doesn't, it's not necessarily the best way to find an editor. Um, someone who, who understands your work and, um, who can help you better your work. I'm not saying it isn't, but I'm saying, but I, but I'm but but I'm saying that there might be flaws in that system, just as there are flaws in any system. And what I'm seeing, looking forward from that too, is that 
some people are better are better at those tasks than other people. Um, all of the non-writing tasks that go into publishing. And what's happening is that they're starting to publish their friends' books, and they're becoming publishing houses. <laughs> right. So, <laughs> so, so in a sense, they're 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 recreating the wheel, where there are established publishing houses who have all of this expertise in one place, and 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 they're and and they're new guys, and they're they're coming in and they're figuring out um, they're figuring out how to do this stuff, and some of them are becoming very successful, and this is how you get new publishing houses. So, right, okay, yeah. So it's just um, just curious now on the traditional versus the self publishing and just. Like I said, the winnowing process, you know, Bob Silverberg was, was quite emphatic about it. And also, <laughs> you know, having the, the judges and people that could defend and stand up for that, that process to really make sure that what you get at the, at the outset is something that's really worth reading. And you're going to like, wow, that was really good to, to find the, the good stuff. And, you know, I think Amazon now with their review, their stars, is they, they endeavor to make that one of those winnowing processes. How much do you look to self-published authors to find people to bring on board to uh, Bain? Um, I, well, I think you know. I think even ten years ago, if if you if you sent a manuscript into a traditional publisher and said it was self-published, it would be a strike against you, right? Uh -huh. um, nowadays, I don't think that's true, um, just because it's um, you know that 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 process is is so uh, ubiquitous. But we don't hold it against you. But but it's also not particularly a um, a plus either. At Bain, we we try to make sure that um, we treat all of our authors um, in the same way, whether they're agented or unagented, whether they've been published before, or unpublished before. What what I'm looking for is is the I, I am really just looking at the manuscript. Does this story that I am reading right now? Take me where I want to go. Is it fun? Is it science fiction and fantasy? Is it uh, is it something that um, is stimulating to read? Am I seeing a voice that I want to spend several hours with? That's all I really care about. All the rest of it um, comes after that. Because if you don't have that, if you don't have that compelling story that you want to keep on reading page after page after page, none of the re none of the rest of it matters. <laughs> Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I was looking at like I was looking at like an Andy Weir type thing where he did his first one self published and then because he he was able to, to demonstrate that he had something that then his next book then went you know to a, a house. Well, you know, it did, um, and but but I, I I and I think you know I'm forever for forever grateful to him to prove that there is a large mass audience for hard science fiction, um, and that they really you know that that, that they are underserved. Um, we do publish hard science fiction. Um, we're we're very proud to do it. But yeah. Um, the upside, the upside of hard science fiction is just as high as the upside on, on, on quest fantasy, and I think that's actually a very hopeful sign for our for our culture. Uh, <laughs> 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 uh, but the way that Weir did it was actually very similar to um, the way that uh, Eric Flint wrote his uh, first 16, 1632 novel. Uh, Eric had uh, was doing research for his alternate history, and so he asked questions on Bain's Bar, which is our um, social social media platform um that was started way back in the day yeah and and so to some extent the research was crowdsourced 
um, and Ware did the same thing. So that there was already, as he was writing it, um, a group of people who were invested in the story uh, because they were they were taking part in the intellectual challenges of writing it. And I think that's one of the reasons why it got such a um, such good word of mouth, right? Is it had that it had that inherent um, buy-in um, from the from the readership. Of course, there's a very fine line between crowdsourcing, answering questions, and you know being lazy and not doing your own research, right? Sure. <laughs> sure. I, I think Weir and Flint were on the correct side of that line. But, yeah. 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 For sure. Um, I, I, you know, and. You know, readers. You know, readers can smell bullshit. They they really do. Um, they can they can tell when you're faking it. They can tell when you're phoning it in. They can tell when they're being used. And it, you know, that's it, not good. You don't want that. You want true, honest enthusiasm for the thing that you're writing. For sure. Now, with um, with respect to what, if you have a choice between two great stories, and there's a lot of great story tales out, but two great stories. Um, does it matter that a person has no social presence and someone else has a very prominent social presence for what, who you're going to choose? Does that affect your decision? Um, yeah, having a very prominent social presence doesn't hurt. Um, but, uh, but, but if you're the kind of person, um, who, you know, who is not good on social media and, uh, and, you know, doesn't have a blog or, you know, doesn't, doesn't put themselves out there, so long as that story is good doesn't matter it really doesn't matter um you know if there were two great stories i'd buy both (laughs) 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 that's good because that that's a bit of a different perspective i've had from from other people talking so i'm really glad we're talking about this right now because it there's been a lot of because of the i think possibly because of the whole idea of self-publishing you need to have the ability now to wear that hat as well of promoting yourself so you've got to be your an instinctive success at self-promoting if you're going to do it because you don't have the publishing house that has that hat that they're going to wear for you. So you need to, that's one of the hats you're going to have to be able to do then, I guess. And and that is a problem with self-publishing, right? Is that... Uh, that is the publisher's job. The publisher's job is to find that market um, and, and to make make that market aware of your fabulous work that they're going to love. And if you, if all you want to do is sit there and write your fabulous stories and you don't want to have to go be a salesman or uh, an actor or, um, or or any of that kind of stuff, that's, you know, that's fine. That's what publishing houses are, are absolutely there for. So they, they, they should do that. Um, and if you're self-publishing, yeah, that that that's going to be a problem because that is a that is a task of publishing is finding that audience to publish to to to, to make it public, right? Right. Um, so, and it is very hard for the reader to be able to winnow out all of the stuff that people are burning to get out there, but you are not burning to read. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. Um, I, I think of myself when I'm, when I, you know, when I'm reading the slush or, or I'm looking, you know, deciding about a manuscript, I think of myself as the reader's advocate, right? I am there to protect you from all the crap that's out there. And, <laughs> yeah. and that, and that also is what a publishing house is supposed to do is supposed to say, this is the good stuff. Now, everybody's definition of good stuff is going to be different, which is why there should be lots of different publishing houses. Um, but, uh, but, but to say when I put that Bain logo on there, that means something. Um, 
So I, so, so I think of, you know, I, you know, I started out as a reader. What I want is to make sure that the kind of stuff that I want to read is out there. Um, and sure. uh, when you self-publish, it, you have to establish that, um, that brand yourself, and that can be difficult. Got it. That makes sense. Now, in terms of some of them pitching to Bain, is there any do's and don'ts of, of what to do, whether – well, that's not so much in person right now. Hopefully, at some point in the near future, or not too, <laughs> we'll be able to do the in-person stuff too. But do's and yeah. don'ts from a for an author. Well, you know, it's a profession, right? Um, and uh, we're looking for that amazing manuscript um, that, uh, that you know that takes us away. But we're also looking for a long-term relationship with an author. So if you if you approach it as a job, you want to do your research, right? Um, you take a look at what it is that we publish. You take a look at, at what it is that we don't publish. You know, we, we are science fiction and fantasy. If you are if you are not clear if your manuscript is science fiction or fantasy, we will not be interested in your book. <laughs> so, right, exactly. Uh, uh, so we, we, we say we publish at the heart of science fiction and fantasy. And, you know, just a professional presentation is, is, is all we're looking for there. You know, there's, there, there's a million places that you can go to, you know, to get tips on that. And, uh, you know, just re- read our guidelines, you know. Good. Okay. That makes sense on that. Yeah. Now, you, you, you know, you have your, your core of, of Bane, but how often do you, you know, um, I guess it's like you said, you, you go based upon what, you know, you like. But, like, at one point, steampunk was brand new or people uploading their mental, you know, their psyche into, the, into a computer network to, to, to live how often do you go into, you know, so all those steampunk now is like, oh, I know about that, but, you know, five, <laughs> ten years before it was the thing, it was the first stories were being published in Writers of the Future because we, we tend to be five or ten years ahead of, of the curve of what's mainstream out there. How often do you go for the, the new stuff, the something that's untried as yet? Well, th- th- this is part of the problem of, of having been reading in the genre for you know, almost 50 years now. Um, there's nothing new. (laughs) (laughs) There's nothing new. (laughs) Um, We, uh, you know, we were publishing at Bain, um, Bob Shaw's wooden astronauts, uh, stuff that, that is absolutely, you know, steampunky in a science fiction kind of form, you know, and that, that that was the early eighties. It's, um, you know, up, up, uploading, you know, uploading your consciousness. We've been doing, you know, science fiction has been doing that for, you know, decades, long, long time. So I, I guess for me, there's, there's no real new, new ideas. It's just how people, how people handle them. Um, uh, so, uh, okay. Well, there's, there's an answer I wasn't expecting, but that's good. That's, de- <laughs> that's definitely good. Cause one thing like with it, with our judges, cause they also have a similar, you know, attitudes, it's not that like, you know, they're definitely interested in another take on Cinderella. You know, here's, you know, here's two different types of personalities, but it's just a Cinderella story. They're, they're definitely looking for something that's fresh. And sometimes yeah. I'm definitely, you know, amazed at some of the different types of stories that make it in Writers of the Future. You kind of go, you know, you know, that it's something that we have is it's not based upon a, a theme because you can have, Dark fantasy, light fantasy. Here's some stuff yeah. with religion, and then all of a sudden, you now have these, um, you know, robots that convert into the, you know, like the, like the the toys that become, uh, you know, robots. The um, 
Yeah. <laughs> you know, and they're, they're, yeah. Uh, they're an acting company. They're an acting troupe that travel around, you know, and then they, they turn on their, their various performances and become the different stage and scenario like that. It's like, wow, there's all types of different stories that make it in there. So it, it's, there's no, like, it has to be this type of a story other than the fact it has to be able to be appropriate for middle school on up. And there's no, mm-hmm. we don't do the profanity or the, or the heavy sex stuff. But um, is there anything that, we just didn't have it just if if Tony likes it, then we're good um yeah, for the most part I, that, that's, <laughs> that, 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 that that really is true i mean i I think science fiction and fantasy are more attitudes, more approaches um to fiction than 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 sort of strict genres like uh you know like noir or uh or or romance or or or, or thing or even the western where you know which are which are more tied to specifics um fantasy and, and science fiction are an, an approach to the material um, right so so it's very hard to pin down um, right you know and of course there's stuff that I like that um that wouldn't be appropriate for Bane um I like a lot of different kinds of things um but but Bane has a very specific brief um and just because I like something doesn't doesn't mean that I think that it will be something that we can do well with um and that you know that that's happened a few times too but um but that's fairly rare I mean right. most of the time if you know if it's a great story um you know well, I'm going to publish it and uh, and that works Okay. So now going back to 1995, there that's was a, very, a book. That's a very specific year. <laughs> <laughs> it is. Uh, and we're going to talk okay. about gre- right. greasy, grimy gopher guts. Yeah. <laughs> when I was doing my research for this interview, I totally got stuck in that because I, you know, immediately the jingle got caught in my head and I just, it didn't go away. And now that I've just brought it up, it's back there again. But <laughs> what was the inspiration for that story? And because um, that's just, that's just fantastic to me. I just think that that's just fantastic. Well, that, that, that was a book that uh, uh, I did with Josepha Sherman um, at uh, August House, which um, publishing company has since passed into the dimness of time, but for a while was a really big powerhouse in folklore. Um, and Josepha, my collaborator, had um, several books published um, with them. Um, and this was this this was just a project that I had always wanted to do. Um, I you know I I enjoyed the the subversive uh, jingles when I was a little kid and. And as I was older, and um, I studied anthropology and linguistics, um, I became, you know, more interested in specifically what role these uh, subversive children's rhymes had um, in our in, in our culture. And I wanted to um, I wanted to preserve some of them. And uh, Josepha was a uh, a willing partner in crime on this. And um, so uh, a project that I had been you know sort of had on the back burner and steaming for for many years. Um, uh, she turned the fire up, and we actually turned it you know actually made it happen. Turned turned it into turned it into a book. Um, August House did a great job with it. And um, uh, so Greasy Grammy Gopher Guts. Um, and again, uh, you know, sort of, sort of you know, on the back burner, there's a sequel to Greasy Grammy Gopher Guts going along. We have a whole new generation of, uh, of kids and their subversive rhymes and the things that um, they sing about. Um, and one of the interesting mechanisms there is that you forget that stuff, right? Yeah, <laughs> is yeah. That, you know, you, you, they, they, they are things that you do when you're a kid, but when you grow up, you forget them until somebody says, Greasy Grammy Gopher Guts, um, get this memory cascade. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. And uh, uh, it, that, that is a neat process, neat That's, neurological process to, uh, absolutely. to look at. 
Yeah. On the um, on the side of, of then with Bain and yourself then as did you go very much into um, writing and then editor and then publishing or editor writing publishing the relationship between those two um, functions of writing and editing? Well, what, I, I, I never had an ambition to be a uh, science fiction writer. <clears throat> uh, my ambition always was to uh, to enter on the editorial side. Um, John Campbell and, you know, Fred Pohl were who I wanted to be. Um, didn't want to be Horace Gold, but, you know, with the, <laughs> with the, uh, with, with, with the panic, there it is. So <laughs> yes, <laughs> we're all a little bit Horace Gold now. <laughs> yes. But, uh, but, uh, but yeah, um, you know, work, work, working with writers and working with artists um, is, is what I wanted to do. And, um, and, uh, and that's, how, and that's how I got here. I, I wanted to be on the editorial side I wanted to be in book publishing and, um, and that's what I got. And um, uh, the writing, I, I've always been interested in writing uh, nonfiction, uh, but uh, never, never saw a particular need to turn my hand uh, to fiction. Okay, so then the, the greasy Grammy Gopher Guts, that's just, that was a very specific thing with a very specific product in mind to not lose sight of our childhood jingles with their ulterior meanings. Exactly, uh, okay. and there, there, are, there, are, there are a couple other projects um, that, that that I have. Uh, um, as I said, simmering on simmering on the back burner there, um, including a biography of uh, Wilson Bob Tucker, who was a uh, long, who was a science fiction writer. He was a mystery writer, and he was integral in the creation of uh, science fiction fandom. So, with, without Bob Tucker, you know, we, we don't we don't get any of this. We don't we right. don't get. Um, and uh, he uh, he was a great guy. I knew him. I knew him well, and uh, his story deserves to be told. Okay, well that makes sense. Now, I'm just curious: Are you familiar with any of Elwin Hubbard's fiction works at all? I am. Yeah, um, I was uh, good friends with uh, Algis Budras, um, and um, he t- he turned me on to uh, some of uh, L. Ron Hubbard's. Uh, Work and of course I had you know run across his fiction before just you know just as one does reading reading yeah. science fiction um, and they're fun <laughs> yeah 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 and no, it was you because you mentioned Fred Pohl because he a lot of the judges that we that we had unfortunately some of them are, are have passed you know talked about you know his his science fiction fancy during the golden age and you know how he worked with um, Campbell and Bob Silverberg still talks about some of the various stories of Campbell with with Hubbard and then Fred Pohl. And even uh, Mike Resnick, just his his favorites, you know, and just how he was able to take something and turn a different direction into the genres. I think Fear is is um, mm. Bob Silverberg's favorite story, and um, Typewriter in Your Sky was Mike Resnick's. <laughs> you know, yeah. so yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I tend to like the lighter stuff. So yeah, yeah. Typewriter, typewriter in the Sky was fun for me too. Yeah. So you made mention. Artists now, because we have the Illustrator of the Future contest as well. So um, I didn't even think to ask you about this, but then in terms of the cover artists and illustrators that you use for um, covers, and then maybe you do or maybe you don't inside panels as well. Um, something about that: how you do you have a, basically a stable, or are people able to um, to submit to becoming um, illustrators for Bain? 
Both, both actually, we have a we have a stable of artists that that we that we turn to. They're all freelancers, of course, um, uh, but we're also open to uh, to new artists. and um, And I will uh, take a look at uh, portfolios and samples. We have an art director at Bain.com um, email, and we do take a look at that. Whenever uh, whenever I go to science fiction conventions, I always take a look at the art show and and uh, look for new talent. Um, Dragon Con especially is great for uh, uh, for for its art show. It's a juried art show, I believe, um, and be huge. Just a um, just a just a, a great um, forum for uh, for artists. But yes, we 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 do welcome new artists. Um, and I am the art director for Bain. This is this is not the usual way things go. Um, but Jim was the art director. Director um, before me, and I thought I'd uh, try my hand at it. Um, there's a very specific branded look to Bain, for sure. Um, yeah, and uh, and that's intentional. Um, it's it's a form of science fiction art that I think of as romantic realism. So uh, so for a lot of our covers, um, the intent is we want you to be able to fall into that picture. We want you to be able to go, ooh, that's a story I can I can get into. Um, and how how an individual artist interprets that brief that's that's what makes um for just brilliant art um we use bob eggleton regularly we use tom kidd we use david mattingly we use dave seeley um we use steve hickman um and i i i oh kurt miller is another one who's been doing great great art for us um there, there, there's a bunch of them and i i have to say i'm just so proud of of what they've been doing i th- i think their their illustrative art is the best um, in the business. I think this is what you're going to be seeing a hundred years from now in galleries. Um, they they are making beautiful, beautiful things. Yeah. You mentioned uh, DragonCon and Pat Henry obviously is a very good friend and going way back to when we used to, to share the costs of bringing Anne McCaffrey over from Ireland uh, for, yeah. <laughs> for Rise of Houston DragonCon. But yeah. he, he was our keynote speaker at Writers of the Future, I think, five years ago and he talked about dragons and all the different colors of dragons and significances of the dragons and he had no idea of the impact of the writers of the future and the illustrators of the future contest for the industry as well as the awards event how much media covered it and just you know uh, the number of judges who were involved with who these people were so after that he's at dragon con um he's made sure that we've had a, a display you know, he pr- he provides a display for the Illustrators of the Future contest, a table, Great. a panel, mm-hmm. and just enable him because he just he, once he found out what it was and what it meant, um, wanted to make sure he could he could uh, validate that, reinforce that because it. I think DragonCon has got the last major um, art show. You know, it's a lot of a lot of the other conventions have, have really tamed down to hardly anything. Well, um, it's. Uh, it's, there's a lot of reasons for that, um, but sure. yeah, I think Drag, Dragon Con absolutely does it right. Yeah. So, um, anyway, on this, with respect to now the, you know, the the future of science fiction and fantasy, you know, the hard copy reading, the ebook reading, the audiobooks, any particular uh, trends you see that, you know, because there's the overall things that like PW will say in that. Um, you know, that they're looking at, but just specifically for science fiction and fantasy, how you see that's going in, in any directions? 
Well, you know, I think in, in you know general terms, um, we're all seeing a, a lowering of our uh, paper numbers, um, a concomitant rise in our audiobook numbers, um, and I think we've, if not saturated the ebook e- market, um, at least we're at the point of that particular medium where everybody who has wanted to has filled up, has has rebought all the backlist that, that they want to, um, you know, just like we went into, we went from you know wax wax into uh, CDs, you know, you went back and you bought your whole collection and um, or DVDs for movies, you know, you replaced your VHSs with DVDs. Everybody's done that at that point. And, uh, and so we're, we're I, th- I think we're going to see a, a rise in, um, in new stuff. I, I think more people are, are, are going to be interested in new things. You know, of course, with, with electronic publishing, you, you have this idea that not only are you, or do you have to be better than the other books published that month, but you also now have to be better than everything else that's ever been published. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> yeah. And that's not hard, right? That's not heavy. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, but um, I, I think that the way that um, ebooks are going um, is potentially a, a dangerous direction, where where you're not buying the book, but you're renting you're renting the um, you're, you're you're renting the 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 bytes, right? And and at Bain, that's not how we do it. At Bain.com, you buy the book, you bought the book. Um, if you want to download it again, you can download it again. If you're you know if you you know you're 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 desktop got fried or the you know the the laptop fell in the bathtub and you lost your phone you can still go back to bain and get your book you've already paid for it we're right. not going to change the book we're not going to change with the text <laughs> right we're, we're not going to mess with it um it's your book um and we're not going to second guess it um and i think that's that that's that that's just a useful thing to know going into you know what what what, what we might be calling you know the crazy years for the you know the next decade or so I don't know. We'll see how that goes. But, but I think the, I think in terms of the overall number of people interested in science fiction and fantasy, um, if anything, they're growing. Certainly, in this last crisis year, we've seen a very nice, um, not 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 a drop in our in 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 our sales at all. Um, people people are looking for our stuff. They're finding it, and uh, I just hope that once we get through this crisis, that we'll see a return to um, retail bookstores, and yeah. uh, and we'll see we'll we'll see a nice rise um, when they come back as well okay well that makes sense do you find has amazon been of assistance or that's just it's just another outlet basically that's really taken advantage or been able to take advantage of the current pandemic um you know amazon is what it is um it reaches a lot a lot of people um it provides um an amazing service and uh it's it, it is definitely you know one of the places that you can get bane books um, yeah has it helped global sales for you you know, we were always pretty global. Um, Simon and Schuster, our distributor, has uh, has had good international sales reps that uh, that do well with our books. So we've always had a good global presence. When we set up Bain's Bar, um, we were able to reach across the world to uh, you know to our fans so that they you know they could they, they they would find you know they you know our fans in New Zealand would know you know, way before anybody else, because, you know, it was, uh, you know, things, because it was a different time of day for them. Right. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So, yeah. Um, so, <laughs> um, so our, our fans could always find us, you know, they've been able to find us for 20 plus plus years and, and that's continued. So, so, so I wouldn't say that Amazon has, you know, they don't, it doesn't hurt. Um, but, 
Yeah, but but it's an additive thing for us. Got it. So the Baines Bar and your own your own social presence, and I know Eric Flint was he one, was he the first person that that handled Baines Bar was. Well, Eric was one of the uh, absolutely early adopters um, of of the bar, but there were there were a bunch of our authors who hung out at the bar um, and um, sort of used it as their social media presence uh, before there was even a term social media. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Uh, and, it, and it was a way for uh, authors to find an audience for, uh, for for the audience to to talk to each other. Um, you know, the market for science fiction is geographically diffuse. This makes it very hard to market to, right? Right. Um, so if you have a uh, if you have a site that that, that people can find, um, that makes it uh, that makes it nice. So you know if you are the only reader of science fiction in your teeny tiny town in Alaska, you've got friends all over the world, and that's great. Um, and and we facilitated that. Now, of course, in those twenty years, um, we have seen a rise in all the other social media platforms. So this is not as unique as it once was. Um, but the site still remains a, a magnet um, for our fans and a place that people know where they will find like-minded people. Yeah, that's that's absolutely true. So now with respect to um, tips or advice to the aspiring science fiction fantasy writer, any um, any pearls you care to impart? Further <laughs> additional pearls. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I get, what, what what people will say is that what they're looking for is a new voice, right? You're like, what the hell does that mean? Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, but and and these days, again, with the rise of the social media platforms and um, and, and, and the internet, no, you know, no nobody nobody shares advice like writers do. It is all over the place. It's everywhere. You can you cannot bat an eye. On, you know, even on late night TV, you're going to find ads for we can help you publish your book, right? Um, so there's a lot of noise out there, and um, and there's some information, um, and all about what having a voice means is test all of that against you. You know, test that against your gut. You're going to get a lot of advice. You're going to get a lot of inf- input for other from other people, um, and and that can be great, and it can be really really helpful. But you always 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 have to test it against what is it that you see. How it's you know, in the end, it's your story. It's your name on it. You've got to be happy with it. So however much you want to talk to other people about your work, it, in the end, it's you. Um, and so so I, I would say to, to authors, have, have confidence in your vision. Have confidence in your voice. That's very, very good advice on that. So with respect to um, this interview – are there any questions I've not asked? It's like, oh man, I thought you would, for sure you would have asked me, blah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, I don't know. I mean, I, uh, at Bain, we do what we do. And, you know, there are some things that I think we do better than anybody else. Um, I think we do great alternate history. Um, I think we do great space opera. I think we do really, really good military science fiction and we really, really understand it. Um, there are a lot of people who um, will put on the the dressings of military science fiction, but they don't get it. They don't understand what military science fiction is for. They don't understand the audience. And I think, I think at Bain, we do. We understand the importance of it and we understand the genre. And part of that is because Jim Bain helped mold the, mold the genre. Yeah. Um, 
publi- publishing David Drake and and uh, and Jerry Pornell and uh, in later years Tom Kratman and John Ringo and David Weber um, and to a certain extent Lois Bujold. Um, her early works were were clear works of military science fiction, joining in that that military science fiction conversation. Um, we do great urban fantasy um, between Misty Lackey and and Larry Correa. We you know we we covered the spectrum on on urban fantasy. Uh, we understand it. We like it, and, and we publish it well. We do hard science fiction. Um, we understand that we like it. <laughs> yeah, we publish it. We publish it well. Um, uh, you know, I like I like quest fantasies. Um, I love the Lord of the Rings. Um, I loved uh, Fritz Leiber and Fafford and the Gray Mouser. Um, and I'd like to see more of that. Um, I'd like to see more of that kind of um, epic fantasy. Um, every yeah, every few decades, we get we get some absolutely great um, epic fantasy. Um, Elizabeth Moon's Dita Paxnarian is one. Um, Larry Correa's um, Son of the, Son of the Black Sword, the, the the series that started with that book, um, is another now that that we're that we're publishing. But I'm really, 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 really super picky when it comes to that. So it, it's hard. Yeah, <laughs> it, it, it's it's hard. It's hard to find the stuff that um, really, really works for us there. How much do you do the earlier? Because this brings up a point then. Because I looked at some of the people that you wrote to me that you published that were earlier our authors, but on the republishing those works because we're in a project of republishing some of Mr. Hubbard's early works. One of you mentioned. Military science fiction, Final Black, Final Blackout is one of the ones that Jerry yep. Purnell was just absolutely, um, you know, rave about. But how much do you rely on that as your, as, as what Bain has to sell is the, is the the early masters of these forms of science fiction and fantasy? Um, it, it remains an important part. Um, you know, these these are great stories, uh, yeah. And 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 they and they find a new audience and with with new generations. So so repackaging them and and uh, republishing them and, and and letting new new people find them. Then yeah, I think that's an important job of what a publisher does for sure. Yeah. So so we're, we will absolutely continue to do that. Now, what's appalling to me is that I'm going to be publishing books in the '80s that people think of as classics, and I think of as just came out. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've got my old, old copies of, like I mentioned, the Witch World series from Andy Norton. I've got my old, old stuff. I've got this stuff from Anne McCaffrey. And I mean, it's just what these, what these, you know, authors did was amazing. And I think it's important that, that it stays there for people to know that this is their, it's like, it's like their history for their genre. They need to know that and need to know, you know, its earliest beginnings for the, you know, the current formats of, of what they are. Yeah, and and you know this is not something that um, that we've talked about, but uh, but you know they the two that you mentioned happen to be women, um, and you know women have been important to to the creation of science fiction as a genre um, from the very beginning. That's right. Um, and they they were they were part of science fiction um, from the pulps onward um, as artists, as editors, as writers, um, and uh, we shouldn't forget that. Yeah, Catherine Moore was one of our first judges. And um, a lot of great, you know, correspondence between Hubbard and Moore earlier when she was first getting started as a writer. But, yeah, the story of when Anne McCaffrey, she was a judge the second year, and she was, when she was talking with Algis, was just up in arms that she wasn't already invited to be a judge. You know, just, <laughs> she was a hoot, that, that, yeah. a hoot and a half. 
<laughs> indeed, indeed. I, I I got to work with her professionally and, and met her a few times at conventions, and that was absolutely the impression that she left for sure. She yeah. was just full full of life, full oh, of life. Absolutely, and we when we bring her out for the Rise of Future Awards event, um, I'd go pick her up at the airport and bring her in. We'd always have she loved root beer, and so we always had a whole display of all types of of special root beers, and she would love it. And when she gave me, um, she autographed and um, inscribed it. Uh, Crystal Singer, which is one of my favorite books of hers, mm. um, she you know thanked me for all the hires that I got every time she came out because she just <laughs> loves root beer. And then of course we we talk about cinnamon because that was her favorite spice and mine as well. So, but she was just just what she was so full of life. You're absolutely right. And she to, she to, so adored the new writer and did everything she could to help you know give them that little boost and congratulate them when they got something published. That's great. Yeah. That's how it should be. That's exactly. how it should be. Exactly. So this has been great. I very much appreciate um, you giving me this time to uh, to talk with you about this. I think a lot of people will be interested to, first of all, what you have to say, but also, you know, your your take on the on the future of science fiction and fantasy. And you're just so full of hope um, and so full of, of positiveness about this, which is, it's really important. You know, at this time period, you know, positiveness is always a good thing to have. But you're just you're convincing, so this is great. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, I've convinced myself too. I mean, I I I, I really think that the, the the future is going to be uh, a brilliant one, and uh, it's going to be so much fun. Yeah. Um, and I want to be part of it. Yeah. Well, that's great. And thank you for listening. Subscribe to the Writers of the Future podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Writers and Illustrators of the Future are contests created by Elrond Hubbard to provide a means for the aspiring writer and artist to be seen and acknowledged. It is free to enter and open to new and amateur short story writers and artists of science fiction or fantasy. And again, thank you very much, Tony. Thank you, John. 